Welcome to the Gospel for Life. We have four Treasure Valley pastors committed to showing that the gospel is not just for that religious part of your life, but rather it's for all of life. You never graduate from the gospel. I'm Josh Bales, pastor of the Well Church, here with Russell Herman, pastor at Cloverdale United Reformed Church, Phil Moran, pastor at Christ Presbyterian Church, and Jonathan Van Hoogen, pastor at Spring United Reformed Church. Now, if you'd like to find out more about us or catch past broadcasts or get information about our annual conference, you can find us at ReformationVoice.com. All right, welcome back to the show today. We are going through some questions, some get-to-know-me questions. Yes, I'm using air quotes because that was Russ's idea. We are going behind the veil today into the secret no, no, compartments no, 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 of no, the no. pastors. We're life. lifting the veil. Oh, lifting We're not the veil. going behind. <laughs> wow. Come on. Sorry. Get the quote right, buddy. <laughs> yeah. So um, if you're going to make fun of me, you have to do it correctly. That's right. That's right. Come on. So if you want to know the, the the hosts of your favorite you know podcast, the Gospel for Life, then go back and listen to a, a couple of the shows in the past couple of days because we we've been going through these: how we got involved in ministry, um, how we. Um, what we wish we would have known when we started. So great questions and some revealing answers, answers that you're burning to know. So, okay, so continuing on from yesterday, we asked what has brought you the most joy in ministry and we got onto the most sadness, um, but I don't think you answered that. You answered it off air, but I don't think you answered it on air. Yeah, what I said off air was just simply that um, just when you watch somebody who just decides that they they don't care what God's word says, and they they just, so a Christian a Christian, and they they come to the point where saying, you know what, I know that that this is what the word of God says, but I feel so strongly about this that I'm I'm not going to submit to that. I'm I'm going to go my own way and do my own thing, um, and to do so both irregardless of what God's word said, and also. Um, with very little concern for the relational damage that it's going to have, that that they also don't care about the relationship they have either with you or other people in the church. Yeah. Well, I, you know, it brings to mind a, a country western song that Barbara Mandrell sang. You know, if loving you is wrong, I don't want to be right. Mm-hmm. And there's a certain, there are people that will sin with a high hand. You know, because they don't want. When I say with a high hand, it means they know exactly what they're doing. They know why they're doing it. They don't want to be right in that particular instance. Yeah. And the, you know, the, their attitude is, "Well, I can always ask for forgiveness." Yeah. And you know, the the what we know is when the very difficulty uh, that that person is going to face. How do they know when they've repented? Yeah, mm-hmm. you know they knew when they sinned, but how yeah. do they know when they repent? You know how do, you know how do they how do they not think they're just manipulating God? Then, yeah. um, so you know those things really it, it do, does hurt when you see uh, sin uh, entered in on that level, especially when there's children involved, because then you see that those sins. Especially the the sin of uh, just obstinance and pride, they're mm-hmm. they're teaching their children to rebel against the Lord. I mean, we've right. seen heartbreaking situations where wife cheats on a husband or vice versa, and then the kids are just victims of this right. horrible, horrible thing. 
And 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 that's you know it's it's true uh, in the family relations that you're talking about, but there's also you know sometimes sins that go on, but and uh, you know there's a there's Judea and Syntyche. You know Philippians talks about two uh, women, uh, fellow workers with Christ, who couldn't get along, and you know it just doesn't happen that they didn't get along in the Bible study. It goes further than that, and then it creates those conflicts outside the church, then it gets filtered into your own family, and that's and that's when it's painful. Okay, so let's do. Um, I'm just going to ask like four of these, and you can decide if you want to answer one of them or all of them. So, <laughs> what's been the most encouraging, the most discouraging, the most frustrating, and then what has been your greatest regret? Well, it's easy to say what your greatest regrets are. I think uh, because uh, you know you want to, in one sense. It's um, a great regret over the amount of time I spend in prayer. Great re- regret um, that you know I could have done something better. I mean, you know, you know that as a as a pastor, you know, for instance, the amount of time that you spend in prayer is really not um, you you lack. I think for me, for me, I think that you know I'm convicted every time I say the word prayer. Um, because I know that I, uh, you know, you read uh, these great saints, and you know that their ministries have been created, sustained by prayer, and so it's one of those things I'm constantly trying to work at. Mm. Yeah, I mean, Jonathan's right. Um, it's not hard to find regrets um, because we know ourselves. We know our shortcomings. We we know our shortcomings with regard to the work that we do, whether it's our prep for for sermons or Bible studies or relational work, the visitation, prayer. Um, you can fill in the blank with lots of things. Yeah, but, the week isn't long enough for the things that we want to do. Uh, and then at the same time, we're men that have clay feet. Um, and, you know, that our shortcomings – Good or bad, just get to be more public. Um, yeah, there's there there. Are, um, I, I can think of a couple occasions where I probably misinterpreted a passage and and spoke in in a way. You know, whether it was privately Only or public. A couple? Well, you know, you know what, uh, you know, I, I've told uh, I've told my children, you know, I've saved my sermons, but I've told them to burn them when I'm gone. You know, they they they're not for posterity; they're for me. Uh, but at the same time, I think about I think about a couple early uh, early occasions in ministry where I started and I preached something, and you know, I've grown. I wouldn't preach anything that I preached ten years ago mm-hmm. um, because I've grown that I I'm constantly growing. So there are some regrets, but there are some regrets that I made, you know, theologically when I've, I've shared something. Yeah. I even know, I, you know, there's ministers, and you know that, for instance, uh, you know, John MacArthur said something about, uh, you know, passage that he preached in Hebrews that he would change. Yeah. You know, but it's in print. Yeah. <laughs> you know, so that's the that's the those can be regret. I want to be able to say, "Thus says the Lord," and so. Um, it's it's scary to think that you might have preached in a way that uh, you know God has more dross to pull out than uh, real gold to deliver. Yeah. Well, even just maybe not in the theological position that I took, but in the tone in which it was said, mm-hmm. um, it may have been uh, 
an, an offhand comment that was in the sermon that uh, probably shouldn't have been added to the sermon that became a, a, a source of stumbling for somebody in the congregation that really ultimately wasn't important enough to be included. The, the misinterpretation that people have that you didn't mean it the way that they heard it. Um, I mean, that probably is more in the frustrating than in the regret part. Like, wow, have we been together so long and you still, that's your opinion of me. Yeah. That you would assume that and hear that. Um, yeah. I mean, I'm sure all of us have been accused of that, that we use the pulpit um, to serve an agenda. And I, I feel pretty strongly about not doing that. Right. And so to have that accusation made is, is kind of personal for me. Like, yeah. no, I, I really strongly don't want to ever do that. So yeah. that can be frustrating because you could be preaching in a passage and uh, you know that uh, you're, you're just expositing what's in front of you. Yeah. Uh, and, uh, you know, somebody feels like their toes got stepped on. Yeah. Uh, and you go, no. God was just aiming for your heart. <laughs> yeah. I think my biggest regret um, was just my early years, especially, were just marked with self righteousness and kind of legalism and Phariseeism, which is a, a bit ironic since we I, I believed in the doctrines of grace. I mean, I believed in the sovereign free grace of God. And I would have admitted all up in my head that any gifts that I have, any. Uh, the position that I have, the beliefs that I have, all of those are gifts of God. And yet somehow my wicked dark heart weaponized those things in ways that I'm super ashamed of. Now I look back and, and I see great grace on God that he didn't abandon me, he didn't forsake me, and that's actually helped me to soften a little, hopefully. Well, I think that you, you look at Scripture and you see uh, the what we would call the heroes of the faith, and we recognize that they all had clay feet. They are right. all – Human yep. in that there's and that's something that we need to recognize about ourselves. Yeah, I think um, one of the things I'm thankful for is that I came into um, the Reformed faith, you know, 15 years, 20 years before I ended up in seminary and in a in a church. Mm-hmm. And so I don't know how else to say this other than. It gave me. You got past the cage stage. It really did. <laughs> it it allowed me to experience more life. It allowed me to have um, interactions with people that were not positive with regard to um, what Josh was talking about. That self righteousness. That um, digging in the heels, feeling like you had to win every argument yeah. um, with regard to theology or or whatever it might be, um, and that you forgot that you were dealing with a person and that. The person might be more important than than the argument that you were going to win. This mm-hmm. was one of those moments where um, it was a book, Letters of John Newton, that was so mm, um, right. great. It, there's a letter in there where he basically says, um, writing a letter to somebody saying, hey, you're going to have this discussion tomorrow. I don't doubt that you can win mm-hmm. in the argument, but still lose. Mm-hmm. Um, and I wish I would have known and read that earlier. Um, I'm just thankful that I had read and and learned that the hard way prior to coming into we a think church. John Newton is the one who wrote Amazing Grace. Uh, he was a he was a, 
he was a slaver when he was yeah. young. He um, came to Christ and became a very pastoral person. In mm-hmm. fact, I think that one of the aside from his hymns, uh, the letters of John Newton are some of the richest. That's one of letters. my favorite books. So you recommended that to me. Like I don't know, it might have been a decade ago. It was a long time ago. And I picked up his letters to specifically John Ryland Jr. Mm-hmm. I think that's his name. And man, those were so those were so precious. Because... There's actually three volumes of letters, and yep. uh, and uh, you know the what I would have, when I have a difficult letter to write, I read John Newton. Uh, I, re, I I just begin reading his letters and how he interacted with people, and um, it's one it ministers to me in the in the situation. But it also reminds me, you know, I'm I'm communicating Christ to this person. Um, more than likely, the person that I'm writing to, I'm going to share eternity with. Yeah. And you know, we're gonna, you know, these whatever differences we have are going to be uh, dissolved before the feet of Christ. So I'm. So it helps me in communicating uh, to you know in a difficult situation. Probably an additional thing that goes both as a frustration and as and a regret is that as we deal with people and as people deal with us, I think it's so easy to forget that each of us is in a process of sanctification. Mm-hmm. And it's frustrating when people forget that with us as pastors, that they, they think we've arrived, oh. what we're in process. But it's also discouraging when I forget that I'm dealing with with sinners that God is slowly redeeming by His Word and Spirit and grace, and um, I get frustrated with them, and then get frustrated with myself that I'm wanting them to be someplace that God hasn't brought them yet. Yeah. Well, I was going to say that uh, there was a gentleman that uh, preached in his church said, um, "We've had other pastors tell us that they were sinners. You're the first one we ever believed." And uh, you know, I I do want to communicate a genuineness about yeah. about that about our own spiritual growth that's taking place. Amen. Well, you've been listening to Gospel for Life. We will see you next time.